Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. The following audio was recorded at Refresh Network Online on the 17th of November, 2021. Thank you. Thanks, Marcus. It's really good to be sharing with you this morning. I want to share about one of the Bible's most attractive characters. I'm not talking about physically, I guess that might be someone like Absalom or David in his day, but uh, a man who is singled out and described as the kind of minister who should be honoured. I guess when you think of that who might that be what did they do what are they significant for what's the cause of honor was it a serial church planter a dynamic preacher a worker of miracles a pastor par excellence well if he was any of those things we're not told scripture doesn't record it and in fact by modern standards this man and his ministry wasn't much to write home about And yet that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does about this man. He writes to his home-sending church in Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 to 30. So it may be helpful to open the passage if you have a Bible there. But let's hear from the word of the Lord of Philippians 2, verses 25 to 30. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger, and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honour such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So the character is Epaphroditus. His name means handsome, literally to or perhaps upon Aphrodite, coming close to or surpassing the Greek goddess of of love and beauty. And maybe that signals parental hopes of a child who would have exceptional charm. Maybe it was just the family name or a common name at the time. But his attractiveness was not in his physical attributes. His was the deep beauty of a godly character. Epaphroditus is one of the most Christ-like people that we encounter in the New Testament, as the Apostle Paul describes him. Paul says, receive him in the Lord with all joy, honour such men, a man to be treasured immensely, a minister to be greeted warmly, a ministry to be celebrated with great joy. So what was it that made him such a, a model minister? Well, the story starts well. He's the embodiment of the Philippians' contribution to Paul's mission team. Philippians 4.18 tells us that he was sent with their gifts, their material support to Paul. Literally, Paul calls him their apostle, 
their messenger, their apostle. That's the word in verse 25. In other words, he sent as their authorized representative, just as Christ had sent and commissioned Paul and the other apostles of Christ. Paul, Paul was sent with Jesus' authority. Epaphroditus is sent with the authority of the church. So his sending church trusted him. They trusted his integrity to handle the money well and properly and to speak for him and to contribute on their behalf to Paul's mission. And Epaphroditus became more than a courier. It seems that he made a real practical contribution to the needs of Paul as he's in prison. We don't know whether he was also involved in a ministry of the word. Perhaps he was. But his care for Paul engendered a deep affection. And Paul uses three terms in verse 25 to describe him. He says, my brother. And that seems to mean more than just the general sense that we're all brothers and sisters. This is a, a brotherhood that's forged in the fires of affliction. He calls him his fellow worker. He's a valued member of the team using the gifts that he had. That's all the more remarkable if it is solely in the practical sense that Epaphroditus was contributing. Paul counts that as a valued and, and vital part of his ministry. And he calls him his fellow soldier. They fought together on the front line against Satan's schemes for the cause of Christ. So here's Epaphroditus, exemplary brother, worker, and soldier alongside Paul. And if you've had a ministry partner like that, then you'll know just how grateful Paul was. No coldness, but compassion. No competition, but cooperation. No conflict, but co-belligerence in the cause of the gospel. And I think we, we probably all or most of us long to have ministry partners like that, don't we? And perhaps more importantly, all of us should long to be a ministry partner to others like that. And if that hasn't been your experience, then I pray that it will become so. We need to learn to serve together like soldiers on the front line recognizing the, the enemy not fighting amongst ourselves. That's certainly the way I want ministry to be. And uh, I think, again, we can be thankful for the times when we've experienced it. We can seek it. We can work towards it. But it's not actually primarily in his service that Paul saw Christ-likeness in Epaphroditus. It was actually in his suffering. Let me explain that. Paul says he, he must send, he's decided that he needs to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi. Reports had reached the church that he was ill, and Paul confirms that that was true, not just a little bit ill, very ill indeed. In fact, he'd had a brush with death. It was bleak. Paul despaired. He knew sorrow in this illness of his partner. He feared that he would have sorrow upon sorrow, as he puts it, if Epaphroditus died. And then two transformative words, but God. <laughs> but God saved Epaphroditus from death, delivered him. Paul receives it as a gift of God's mercy, not only to Epaphroditus, but to him as well, the restoration of his friend. And we don't actually know if Epaphroditus made a, a recovery, a full recovery, a partial recovery, uh, whether he remained 
chronically debilitated because of the illness? Was he able to serve Paul again or not? But we do know Paul gives three reasons why he says he's sending Epaphroditus back. First of all, because Epaphroditus is longing to be in Philippi, and then because his return will bring joy to the church there. But thirdly, because it will relieve Paul's own anxiety or sorrow. It's really a related word to that sorrow upon sorrow. So um, in other words, Paul is saying, I'll have less sorrow. He already has sorrow in his circumstance, mixed with joy, as Paul will say. But actually, there's a relief of sorrow that will come for Paul from sending Epaphroditus back. And it's that last point that I think suggests that, that this brother who had been a support for Paul was now a burden, if not physically or materially, at least emotionally. And I don't think Paul's being hard in saying that. He's simply admitting the truth. He's admitting that it's time for Epaphroditus to have his own needs met. Uh, he's sending him back because Paul in prison can't meet those needs, but he knows that the church in Philippi can, and he urges them to do that, welcome him with joy um, and honour him. Now, I don't know how all of that sounds to you. It doesn't really sound like ministry glory, does it? It doesn't sound great. It's a strong man brought low, a promising start, a bit of a humiliating ending. Once a useful minister, now a bit of a wreck. It's not the kind of bio you read in the handbooks at the big conferences. It's not what you read on the back of the best-selling Christian books. But it might be your story, and it might be the story of someone that you know and have been close to in ministry, humanly speaking. It's all a bit of an embarrassment, isn't it, if we just looked at it from the world's eyes? Something to whisper about, not to talk too loudly about, something, someone to pity. But God. God had a, a different purpose, and it's precisely in the weakness of Epaphroditus that Christ was revealed. There are two things in Paul's words that indicate that. And the first one is, is quite obvious. Verse 27, he says Epaphroditus was near to death. Verse 30, he says he nearly died. You see the repetition of death. I'm coming just after the, the famous Christ hymn at the beginning of Philippians 2, where Paul says, verse 8, that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Again, death repeated. The echo is, is very clear. Jesus died in obedience to his father. Epaphroditus came close to death in the work of Christ. As verse 30 puts it, he risked his life to complete what was lacking in their service for Paul. And we don't know whether Epaphroditus's illness was a direct result of ministry. I suppose it could have been in one of two ways. Maybe he was assaulted in the course of ministry, the way Paul was at times. Maybe he picked up some disease that was going around the prison or when he was visiting Paul. On the other hand, maybe he overstretched himself. Uh, drove himself into the ground, got ill because he was worn down. and We, we just don't know, and speculation's not going to get us anywhere. All that we do know is that he got sick in the context of sacrificial service in the name of Christ. 
It's a story that's been repeated many times. And we might be prone to ask, why didn't God preserve him from the illness and save Paul all the, the worry? And as ever, we can't second guess the mind of God, but we can say this, that faithful sacrificial service for God carries no guarantees of safety, well-being, or longevity. But more bluntly, ministry might kill you, or at least we might die in the course of ministry. It'll certainly do that quicker if you're foolish, if you don't take care of your own needs or make sure that they're met. But even if you're wise, you might die in service. But weakness in ministry is no source of shame. It's actually in weakness that we come closest to Christ-likeness, and that is true in Epaphroditus' physical weakness. But it's also true, and this I find really remarkable, in his emotional life. So there's a second verbal clue in what Paul says. He writes, verse 26, He's been longing for all of you and has been distressed. And it's that word distressed. The, the Greek word behind it is only used of one other person in the New Testament. And he guesses. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Lord Jesus. Matthew 26, verse 37 and 38 says, Taking, him, taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. The sorrow and sorrowful in those verses is the same word that Paul uses about his own emotion, um, that sorrow upon sorrow and to save me from, from sorrow. But the troubled word that Jesus uses is the word that Paul uses about Epaphroditus. In other words, the depth of his emotion was as close as any other human being can be close to the emotion that Christ felt in Gethsemane. Epaphroditus came close to Christ-like sacrifice when he nearly died, but he experienced Christ-like sentiment as he reflected on the anxiety that his illness had brought his sending church. There's no more Christ-like quality than to be so invested in the spiritual well-being of others that we long to be with them in their pain, to bring them healing, to carry their burdens. Epaphroditus was Christ-like in his actions and in his affections. And that's the kind of worker that should be honoured. Not the endlessly resilient or the seemingly invincible and inexhaustible, but actually faithful servants who will follow their master's footsteps, bearing the burdens of others and offering their resources in the mission of God. So what does that mean for us as modern day workers um, and fellow soldiers? Well, I don't know. I guess we're, we're all different. Maybe you often attempt to hide your troubled emotions, put on a brave face, try to be strong when you're not. I suppose what I would say is don't walk that road alone. Find a co-worker like Paul who can understand that heart, he will hear it will commend you to the care you need, as Paul did, for Epaphroditus. And if you don't have that as support, our associates in Living Leadership are here for you. We'd love to walk with you and listen to you and care for you. Maybe you're not that close to the line, but you know actually that your affection 
no longer resonates with the heart of Christ. You've maybe developed a host of self-protection mechanisms, guarding unhealed wounds and past hurts. And I think if that's us, then we need to hear what Paul says about Epaphroditus. You're not a source of shame because of those deep emotions. You're one to be honoured because you've shared in the sufferings of Christ. So let that truth seep into the depths of your heart. Don't let your wounds define you. Don't let them become calloused. Don't become hardened in them. But rather discover again the joy of the Lord. Meditate deeply on Christ's wounds. Let your own sufferings take on perspective in light of his redemptive sacrifice for you. But perhaps you're happy to be Christ-like in your actions, sacrificing, but you feel a sense of shame when you're groaning in anguish for those that you serve. And I think Epaphroditus shows us that deep emotions can be honourable, at least when they echo the heartbeat of Christ. Some emotions are just negative, um, and they should never be expressed except to God or someone who's a very close, trusted and wise fellow journeyer, festering bitterness and envy have no place in Christian community. As Paul says earlier on in Philippians 2, that's what leads to grumbling and quarreling and bickering. But the right kind of emotions, longing for purity in the church, heartfelt sorrow at sin in our own lives and the lives of others, the sense of burden for the lost. Epaphroditus felt those, and so did Paul. Remember back in the beginning of Philippians, Chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says that he feels for the Philippians the affection of Christ Jesus. To have the mind of Christ, as Paul puts it at the beginning of Philippians 2, is to serve in humble obedience. To have the heart of Christ is to suffer in deep affection. And through that service and suffering, here's the good bit, comes the joy of celebration. It's a joy that comes through fellowship with others who share our sorrow at sin, and our hope of glory. For Christ, it came in his glorious reception into heaven's eternal joy, exalted to the right hand of the Father in that beautiful hymn. For Paul, it came for a season through Epaphroditus. For Epaphroditus, at the time when Paul's writing this, it couldn't come through Paul, but it would come through a warm welcome from the community of believers in Philippi. And I've said that we all want, or I think we all long for good colleagues, good gospel colleagues. Some of us will find them, but I think we all need people who will receive us into joy. People who will honour and encourage us. We all need someone who'll do that. So I suppose the question is, where will we find that? Where do we find ministry brothers or sisters who share the affection of Christ, who express it together? more than they share their own uh, emotions about themselves, but about his heart. We save each other from cynicism, because we need that. We pray for God to continue his work in and through us, and who rejoice with us in the Lord. Uh, uh, and there's a sense of being welcomed into that with the joy of Christ. And you might find that partnership in your group in this network. I hope you do. You might find it with a colleague or a ministry team. You might find it in marriage, in a fraternal, by going on a retreat to be alone with the Lord or be ministered to, even in your church community as Epaphroditus would. But 
all of us need it. And again, if you don't have that, we'd love to walk with you, support you, let us know if we can do that. I think it it's great to know that one day we're going to be welcomed into eternal joy on the day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think that's wonderful, isn't it? But we're not meant to sit around waiting for that and never get it now. Let's be that welcome into joy for one another, celebrating what Christ has done, celebrating who he is, and celebrating that we get to share in his affections and to share in his suffering, because that's part of what ministry will bring. So perhaps today we can be bringers of joy to someone else. Who could I encourage? Who could you encourage? Who could I thank? Who could I honour? How can I do that? Or how can I receive that from others? Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders, or you can visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. Blessings. Blessings.